0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Amen. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. This is... The word of the Lord, it is eternally true. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we come to this passage and think about you, that our minds would be filled with the appropriate reverence the appropriate fear father the the appropriate joy and lord i pray that you would you would buy your spirit that you would teach us that you would illumine our minds and our hearts and make us humble in receiving your word father we we honor you as the one true living god and we pray in the name of your son amen amen be seated One thing before we get into this third sermon on the fear of the Lord. Uh, be praying for Ben. He, he hasn't been singing today because his, his throat is messed up. And the doctors don't know what it is, and nor does he. So uh, just pray that it's um, allergies or something and, and it gets taken care of. And that he's with us singing again soon. Um, yeah, so... A few evening sermons ago, I went through a number of verses that taught us that fearing the Lord was a good thing. The fear of the Lord is not simply an Old Testament concept that is uh, done away with in the New Testament. All of Scripture clearly teaches us that Christians are to fear the Lord. In fact, Christians, those who are born again by the Spirit, are the only ones who can truly Fear the Lord, because uh, for the unbeliever, there is no fear of God in, uh, for them. Last time we looked at the, those first three chapters of Paul's epistle to the Romans and saw that the apostle taught that unbelievers, though knowing God's law, right, they know God's law, they have um, no fear of God. Romans 3.18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And so the unbeliever may fear a whole number of things, right, in this life, but he or she does not fear the living God. So obviously it is only the life of a true believer that will demonstrate a fear of the Lord. The born-again Christian, as I said last time, also knows that God has dealt with his sins in Jesus Christ. Right? We know that, um, I mean, that's... That's fundamental to the gospel, right? God has dealt with our sins through the sacrifice of His Son. And so we come to Romans 8.1 and it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet, even though we have that knowledge that all is, all is taken care of, that the work of Christ is finished, that there is no condemnation, yet even in God's graciousness and forgiveness, there is reason to fear. Um, Psalm 135 says, But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. You know, one of those strange verses that you're perplexed over for a long time. There is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Even God's forgiveness, let alone his discipline of his children, does not bring an end to fear. But in fact, according to that, Psalm gives reason for it. Right? That God holds... Holds the forgiveness of our sins in His will and in His hands is reason for us to f- be circumspect about the way we live our lives, right? God holds all forgiveness at His discretion. And He is sovereign. And so um, to fear, I mean to, to sin, is in a sense to, um, is to uh, forget that. Forget that fact of God's sovereign graciousness. At this point, many theologians uh, try to bring in these seemingly disparate strands together by defining fear as um, you've heard it defined as reverence. You've heard it defined as awe, just sort of like um, like we stand in awe of the, the Rockies when we look at them for the first time, and we're just like, ah, wow, that's amazing. Um, and what they're trying to do in, in making that definition fear as reverence or awe, they're they're trying to remove that element of trembling fear. They're trying to remove that element of being afraid fear. Right? They define fear as that sensation of awe and reverence you feel similar to when you um when you, you're at the height of a mountain looking down into a valley. There is that's no trembling fear, is it? That's just an an inspiring sort of uh vantage point, um, there's no trembling fear there, just awe, just a sort of overwhelming feeling of being in the presence of something bigger than you, and that 's not the full meaning of what it means to fear the Lord. Um, th- this sort of fear is is not simply Wow, but woe. woe is me, right not w h o a But W-O-E, woe is me, right? An awareness of the holiness of God and also a corresponding awareness of our sin. If we reduce fear to only reverence or awe, what are we to do with Paul's words in the verses that we just read? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, right? For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Psalm 119, 120 says, My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. Right? That's David, who is a man after God's own heart, saying that, that he trembles to think of God. He trembles in the presence of his God. His flesh is, has that reaction, right, when we're really scared. You tremble. Um, The Greek uh, phobeomai, which you can hear some English words in that, right? Phobia comes from that Greek word, phobeomai, means to be put to flight, to fear, to dread, to be intimidated, to be terrified, right? So that word means much more than awe, right? Awe is way much of a reduction when, when the fullness of that Greek word means to be put to flight, right? To... To, to want to run away, to fear, to dread, to be intimidated, to be terrified. And then, and then in, the, in the Philippians 2 passage, it doesn't just say fear, it says fear and trembling. So terror and trembling would be an appropriate translation there. And, and trembling, tremo, in the Greek simply means what it says, trembling, to tremble. Have you ever been so scared that you can't control your body, just shaking fearful, been suddenly startled or something like that and and your your body just sort of uh does its own thing right um, you know your guts may just unleash everything in your stomach um vomiting right but it's th- so so fear is is like the psychological or the inward, the mind responding to God, and then trembling is what your body does. There's just this, this, this uh, a bodily reaction to fear. And so, can we bring together, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and, and John's statement, perfect love casts out fear, and Paul's statement in Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Remember last time, we did work through that, and I ended with a quote. Um, It was from the theologian John Murray. And he said, there is much loose thinking on this aspect of the question. Is it, and then he asked the question, is it proper to be afraid of God? Is it proper to be afraid of God? And he says, the only proper answer is that it is the essence of impiety, not to be afraid of God when there is reason to be afraid. Right? When there is reason to be afraid, then it'd be it'd be completely impious, completely the wrong thing to to um, concoct a theology that, that casts all fear out of the equation. So Christians, do Christians have reasons to be afraid? Do Christians have reasons to be afraid? To have fear, that goes beyond reverence and awe. To have fear, that goes beyond just respect for God. Well, yes and no. (laughs) That's going to be my answer tonight. So you're right and you're wrong. (laughs) The no first. The no first. Here's what we don't fear. We do not fear God's final judgment. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right, we don't, we don't fear that final judgment of God. We have assurance that what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, it is completed, it is finished, it's perfect, it's enduring. We will persevere to the end, and it is ours personally. Right, That, that salvation that we have is ours personally. This is, in fact, faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith, true faith, understands that Jesus Christ has, is the mediator. Jesus Christ has stepped in between the wrathful God and myself and has given me peace. We will appear before God, right, um, in the robes of Christ's righteousness. Wrath of God that was our due has been poured out on Jesus Christ, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So in a sense, we could say that we do not fear God's wrath that has been propitiated. It's been propitiated in Jesus Christ. It's been taken on Jesus' shoulders. Machin says this then, even the Christian must fear God, but it is It is another kind of fear. It is a fear rather of what might have been than of what is. It is a fear of what what would come were we not in Christ. Without such fear there can be no true love, for love of the Savior is proportioned to one's horror of that from which man has been saved. And how strong are the lives that are suffused with such a love? They are lives Um, They are lives brave, not because the realities of life have been ignored, but because they have been first faced. Lives that are founded upon the solid foundation of God's grace. May such lives be ours. Right. So so he's saying what, what I just said. We don't fear that final judgment. There is no condemnation. And yet there is some sense in which we say yes. To the question that I asked before. If it is not ultimately the wrath of God and the final judgment that we fear because we're in Jesus Christ, then what is there to tremble about? What is there to tremble about? What reason is there for the Christian to be afraid of God? Well, the answer to that is twofold and it's two sides of of one coin. God's perfect holiness, His ultimate transcendence, His glorious, unblemished holiness, and our continuing Sinfulness, our continuing sinfulness, the vestiges of the old man, right? Forgiven, redeemed, born again, justified, yet still sinners. And the sins of believers are taken very seriously in the scriptures, aren't they? The sins of believers are taken very seriously. That we we could say that in some sense, the, the Unbelievers sin out of ignorance. They don't uh, don't have the training of the Word of God. They don't have reminders of righteousness. They don't acknowledge God. They suppress the truth. And so in some sense, they're, they're, they're sinning in ignorance. But believers? Believers always sin in knowledge. Have you read the Word of God? Do you know His law? Do you know what He said to you? Well, every time you sin, you're sinning knowing what's right. And you have no excuse. Calvin writes in his Institutes when the apostle teaches that we should work out our own salvation in fear and trembling, he demands only that we become accustomed to honor the Lord's power while greatly abasing ourselves. Right? Honor God's power, abase ourselves. For nothing so moves us to repose our assurance and certainty of mind in the Lord as distrust of ourselves and the anxiety occasioned by the awareness of our ruin. In this sense, we must understand what is said by the prophet, I, through the abundance of thy goodness, will enter thy temple. I will worship in fear. Here he fitly joins the boldness of faith that rests upon God's mercy with the reverent fear that we must experience when we come into the presence of God's majesty and by its splendor understand how great is our own filthiness. Solomon also speaks truly when he declares that man blessed that man blessed who is always afraid in his own heart since by hardening it falls into evil. But he means that fear which renders us more cautious, not the kind that afflicts us and causes us to fail. While the mind, confused in itself, recovers itself in God, cast down in itself, is raised up in Him, despairing of itself, is quickened anew through trust in Him. A little bit more of Calvin. Hang with me. Accordingly, Calvin says, Nothing prevents believers from being afraid, and at the same time possessing the surest consolation. According as they, they turn their eyes now upon their own vanity... And then bring the thought of their minds to bear upon the truth of God. How, someone will ask, can fear and faith dwell in the same mind? Indeed, in the same way that, conversely, sluggishness and worry so dwell. For while the impious seek freedom from pain for themselves that no fear of God may trouble them, yet the judgment of God so presses them that they cannot attain what they desire. Thus, nothing hinders God from training his people in humility That while fighting stoutly, they may restrain themselves under the bridle of self-control. And from the context, it is clear that this was the intention of the apostle, where he assigns the cause of fear, the trembling, to God's good pleasure, whereby he gives to his people the capacity to will aright and to carry through valiantly. In this sense, we may rightly understand the prophet saying, "...the children of Israel shall fear the Lord and his goodness." Right, So th- this is the, this is the uh, Chesterton would call it a paradox, right? This is the paradox that Christians live. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet, we continue to sin, and we sin in full knowledge of what God's Word says, and God is as holy as He was yesterday, today. Right? And we sin against God, and, 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 and that, that verse comes to us. this side of the cross, think of that Psalm 135 quote, "There is forgiveness with you that you may be feared." How much more so with us who have seen the Son of God crucified, have heard about it, have the final have the, all of the scriptures testifying to Jesus Christ? And God, we know the depth of God's love for His Son, whom He crucified, and yet we continue to sin. I mean, that really should fear us, fill us with fear. Trembling fear. 1 Corinthians 9 says this, Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim, I box in such a way as not beating the air but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Now there's a man who feared the Lord, right? Did, Jesus, did, did Paul know Jesus? Did Paul write that there is therefore now no condemnation? He wrote those words, and yet here he is saying, you know, I practice self-discipline because after I preach to others, I might be disqualified. That's the fear of the Lord. I myself will not be disqualified. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all... And then he he uses this example in chapter 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. For they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Now, those are inappropriate words if there is no fear of the Lord, right? If everything is cheap grace and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ and, and you have your card written out that you, you, you came to Christ on such and such a day, then, then that's an inappropriate statement in Scripture, Right, Let him who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Well, God's got not going to let me fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry, I speak as to wise men. You judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Look at the nation Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifice's shares in the altar? What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. But I say that the things with the, which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than He, are we? I mean, that, doesn't that capture what I'm trying to bring together here that that though there is no condemnation and we have faith and we have comfort in Jesus Christ we also have God saying stop being idolaters stop being idolaters remember what happened to Israel when when even though they had Christ following them they were idolaters and 23,000 fell in one day the church has much to learn from that right that's what Paul is saying here. Church, learn from this. Israel was an example to us that we might walk in fear. 2 Corinthians thirteen five. Think of this. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? He's not supposed to say that last part. Not as a, not as a Calvinist like the Apostle Paul was. Right? If you are in the faith, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Right? And, And then you will recognize that Jesus is in you unless you fail the test. In the end, the Christian continues in the fear fear, the trembling fear, the being afraid of God for these reasons. One, this is the big thing, our ongoing sinfulness. Our ongoing sinfulness. Our ongoing sinfulness can can easily indicate that we are the, the seed that fell onto rocky soil. Right? And for a time you ran well and had joy in the Lord, and yet now there seems to be more joy in the pursuit of sin. So our ongoing sinfulness... Is, is a reason to fear God. It should lead us, right? Our ongoing sinfulness, what should our ongoing sinfulness lead us to? It should lead us to humility rather than a dismissive, blind, puffed up sort of particular pride that comes with a, a, a view of cheap grace. That just leads to pride. But our ongoing sinfulness should lead us to tears, to repentance, to, to sadness, to grief. particularly unbelief, right? Piper writes, if you give way to unbelief and stop trusting Christ for your life and hope, then you will be cut off. So fear every rise of unbelief in your heart. Or as Paul says in Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. When unbelief starts to get the upper hand, fear and tremble and fly to Christ. And that unbelief reaches up then you better run to Christ and you better go tremblingly. Second, to fear God is to hate sin and be on alert against it. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Proverbs 16.6. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. So to fear God is to hate sin and it's to be uh, particularly conscious. Boys, listen to me. Okay? This is important for you to understand. Okay, the fear of the Lord leads us to depart from sin. Watson says this: This is not a fear of doubting, but a fear of diligence. The fear is this fear is requisite in the working out of salvation. Let us fear lest we come short. Hebrews four one. Fear is a remedy against presumption. Hope is like the cork to the net; it keeps the soul from sinking in despair. And fear is like the lead to the net. It keeps the soul from floating in presumption. Fear is that flaming sword that turns every way to keep sin from entering. Fear quickens. It is an antidote against sloth. Noah, being moved with fear, prepared the ark. The traveler, lest night should overtake him before he gets to his journey's end, spurs on faster. Fear causes circumspection. He that walks in fear treads warily. Fear is a preservative against apostasy. I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. Jeremiah thirty two forty. The fear of falling keeps us from falling. Fear is the badge and livery of a Christian. The saints of old were men fearing God. It is reported of Holy Anselm that he spent most of his thoughts about the day of judgment. Happy is the man that fears always. Fear is a Christian's garrison. The way To be secure is always to fear. This is one of the best tools for a Christian to work with. To fear. To go about your day fearing God. Do you know God-fearing Christians? Those who, who tremble in the presence of temptation and sin. Three, it glorifies the forgiveness and grace of God. Reasons to fear God. Third, it glorifies the forgiveness and grace of God when we realize that our future relies upon Him alone beginning to end. Our future, our future happiness depends upon this gracious God and this just God from beginning to end. Remember, it is those who persevere to the end who will be saved. Right? But the one who endures to the end, He will be saved. Matthew twenty four thirteen. The way to persevere is to continually live in the fear of God. Fourth, it is son-like to fear. S-O-N. It's son-like to fear. A fear that attracts. A fear that amplifies love. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Right? Hebrews 12. Our father is good. He's gracious. He's filled with everlasting loving kindness and all power and holy hatred for sin. He hates sin and he's filled with all grace. Fifth, there is no coasting in the Christian life. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. If you coast, there is no fear. If you're fearful, you'll work, right? You'll work hard. You'll pursue God and you'll pursue His holiness. Sixth, we could summarize all of this by saying that Scripture, the reason to fear God is that Scripture portrays uh, in a very real uh, sense, that in the godly fear and love, embrace. In the godly fear and love, complete faith in God and His power, complete fear, because we're on, we continue to sin. Seven, remember this. Here's another reason to fear God God sees every one of your actions and every one of your thoughts, God sees them all. God knows every one of the hairs of your head, but he also sees everything you do and knows the thoughts of a man. He knows every one of your thoughts. All those blasphemous, all those adulterous, all those lustful, all those hateful, unkind thoughts. God knows them. You, you, you brought them into your mind and you, you committed those deeds when God was present with you. Right, and and he makes note of all of those. And at the end of the ages, we're judged according to our works. We're judged according to our thoughts. Every little thought will be revealed. Right, and so is that not a reason to fear God? Right, he is omnipresent. He is always with us. He is always seeing. So God sees your actions. Um. Eighth, I thought of an example of this. I don't know if you've been following what's going on in the Southern Baptist Convention, but there's a, there's a man named Paige Patterson who was the president of Southwestern Seminary. I believe it's Southern Baptist. And uh, he just got fired. He, the board of directors immediately fired him. And there were accusations brought against him that he didn't deal with some sins that happened on the campus quickly enough, and so people came against him. And um, there was a very uh, sort of feminist movement at the seminary that that got him ousted very quickly. Okay, this is sort of part of the the residue of the Me Too movement in the Christian world. Okay, and, and from what I know, Paige Patterson is an honorable man and has, done, has been on the front lines of fighting against feminism and fighting against sexual sins. And now he's being accused of having not protected the women on his campus and being sort of domineering and all those those sorts of things. And and I bring up this example not to say I don't know the details, I don't know... Um, page patterson i don't know the board of directors and i don't know all the details so it's not to make a judgment on that but it's to say this here's a man like page patterson who's dedicated his life to serving god in the church and god is pleased to take him out at the end of his life god is pleased to reveal what may not even be sins he committed god is pleased to allow this to happen to page patterson and I just think God is no man's debtor. He, he does not owe you peace and comfort. He does not owe you any good thing. How, however graciously you've served him in your life, how, however sanctified you really are, you've still sinned against him. And at the end of your days, he may just reveal the sins of your youth and make a wreck of your life to discipline you. He may just reveal it and open up everything you've done and it'd be a devastating thing. I think about this in the ministry all the time. Every pastor could be fired from his job for failing at certain tasks in the church. Ministry is complicated and dealing with sexual sins is very complicated and giving advice and counsel to people is very complicated and you inevitably make errors in it and then people inevitably get mad And God may just have it so that that person comes back and destroys your ministry. And that's God's prerogative. And that's reason to fear Him. That's reason to fear Him in everything you go into. God may take me down next week. I've written about revoice. I've written about revoice and and all the sexual sin that's going on there and, and things going on. And God just may say, well, Dion." Let's deal with you this week. And, and God, God, you know, God is true and every man's a liar. God is true, though every man is a liar. And we have to remember that. And that is reason for us to be sober-minded, fearful of God, even while rejoicing and knowing great comfort in His rescue through Jesus Christ. And so remember, pray for Paige Patterson and pray for that situation just because it's, you know, what's what's tragic about it is they fired him once and they said, you can remain on as president. And he and his wife, and they're probably in their 70s, he and his wife had built a house on campus and they were going to just stay there the rest of their lives. And he was also going to be like an emeritus guy. Well, they fired him once and let him keep all those things, and then they met again, and they just took everything away. They shut down his email. They shut down. Um, he no longer has that house. He no longer has an income, and he was in Europe representing the university in Germany and and uh, I don't know, heard about it over like Twitter. I mean, it was that bad. And so just, you know, I don't know the details, but but Remember that example. Remember the example. God is pleased now for Paige Patterson to have these awful situations dragged out into the light to discipline him. And though he has served faithfully. Um, so lastly, I'll say that the fear of the Lord leads us to that kind of sobriety. right? It leads to that kind of sobriety. We may claim the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ and yet we still continue to sin and it is the fear of the Lord that is going to make us stop short of some of the most evil things that we would give ourselves to. Right? It's the fear of the Lord that will make us not despise our spouse. It's the fear of the Lord that's not going to make us touch things that we shouldn't touch. It's the fear of the Lord that's not going to allow us that's going to stop us from looking at things that we should not look at as we think about the fact that God, what we do in secret, God may bring out into the light, right? So let's fear him. Let's trust him. Let's remember there's forgiveness with the Lord, but with that forgiveness comes this kind of fear. We cease sinning. We understand his immense wrath against sin. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, we, we bow in reverence before You. We, we do ask that You would stir up within us the kind of faith that fears, that both trusts and fears. Father, there is no contradiction between these two things. So I pray that we would be sober-minded, that we would be circumspect, that we would examine ourselves, that we would... We would uh, Also, rest in you and remember that in Jesus Christ there is no condemnation. That the wrath to come has been mitigated by Jesus. And yet, Father, you are a Father who disciplines, who disciplines your children, who scourges the ones you love. And so I pray that we would walk in sobriety, that we would every day of our lives think twice about the sin that we are so given to knowing that you are watching and you are to be feared. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.